every week when I come into this room, I'm extremely grateful for the ushers and greeters at the door and the tremendous job they do, and for the band who week after week, they just, they kill it. They do an amazing job. And, and yeah. And, and, you know, watching all of them, but that last song, Alyssa leading, Alyssa is here at C3 because someone invited her. It's the power of an invitation. You never know how God's going to use that. And, and every week, she just does a freakazoid phenomenal job. She really does. I don't know how much time you've spent in a waiting room. Angie and I have four children, and for each of them, when they were born, I was there in the room. And it's, it's just an incredible thing to experience new life like that. And I remember when we were younger, you know, we had two kids, then three, then four. And people would joke around and say, hey, you know what causes that, don't you? So I was like, yeah, but she can't leave her hands off of me. So, but then we had four, and it was like, okay, four and no more. That's our motto, four and no more. We love them, but we're good. We're good. And, and then Kaylee and Barry got married, and they, they started having their kids who are our grandkids. And there was a big difference when Kaylee would have children, and that is I was not in the room uh, her mom was in the room with her. I, d I did not want to be in the room. That was fine. But I was in the waiting room. And when we're in the waiting room, minutes can feel like years. In fact, I'm convinced, grandfathers, though, if you're a grandfather, I'm convinced the birth of your grandchildren is hardest on the grandfather. Because you're waiting in a room. It may be harder than giving birth. I don't know. But you're waiting. <laughs> I'm kidding. Ladies, I'm kidding. If that offended you, please email Barry Oser at C3. Like, it's his fault. He told me to say that, actually. Um, that's not true, and Jesus knows that that's not true. But the waiting room, sometimes we're in the waiting room, and what we're waiting on is going to bring joy, and we know it. And we're impatient, but, but we know, I mean, th there's a little bit of tension because so many things during childbirth, it, it, the miracle of, of life. Now, life didn't begin in that moment. It began nine months ago, but life coming that, that way on, on earth like that is just incredible. But other times when you're in the waiting room, there might be good news on the other end of the timeline, but you don't know. As a pastor, I've been in the waiting room with people whose loved one is going through a procedure where the doctors have been very honest ahead of time saying, hey, it, it doesn't look good. The waiting room. And some of you this morning, you feel like you're in the waiting room of life. You feel like you're in one of those seasons, and maybe you've been in it before, but maybe it feels like this one is just going on and on and on, and you're, you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. And, and, and sometimes when we're waiting, there's absolutely nothing we can do. So the obvious question is, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when there's nothing you can? When you have tried everything, you've read everything, you've talked to people about everything, when, when there's nothing left, you, you can't do a thing. You have options, but they're all bad. What do you do when you're in a season of life? 
where you're just waiting. And then, then, then you read the pages of Scripture if you're a Christ follower, even if you're not. Maybe, maybe you turn to the Bible and say, okay, maybe is there, there, there is a God. Maybe he can say something to help me. When you read this book and you read about the parting of the Red Sea for the children of Israel, you read about dead people, Jesus bringing them back to life. You read about people that couldn't hear, being able to hear, and couldn't see, being able to see, and couldn't talk, being able to talk. You, you read about what Jesus did over and over and over again, and yet in your life, you do when there's nothing you can do and if you're new to c3 maybe it's your first time or maybe you've been coming for a little bit and we, we don't know each other well yet i do want to congratulate you because you chose to attend the greatest church on the planet you're just smart like that and that's not, listen, listen, when I say that, that's not because of me. It's because we have an amazing God, which every church has. The unique quality of this church is the people that are sitting around you. Very special people. But if you don't know me, you, you might feel like, what, here's a pastor who's going to read me a verse and tell me it's all going to be okay, it's fine. And, and, and pastor, what I'm walking through, what, what I'm dealing with, the, the waiting, the heavy weight that I'm under in the waiting, the pressure, the burden, the brokenness, the pain, you have no idea. Some cute Bible story is not going to fix this this morning. I understand more than you think I might. Over a couple of years ago, we were told that my bride Angie has a brain tumor. It's not cancerous, but it's pressing on her brain stem. It creates a lot of pain, a lot of issues that she has to deal with. And every day, I leave early in the morning to go to the gym. And when I get in the truck, I, I, I've learned the power of the radio off. And I pray. And every single day of my life, I'm asking God to remove that tumor. Every single day of my life, I ask God to help her have a pain-free day. But I'm still waiting. So whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is that you're waiting on, if you could come up and tell your story, you know that we would all agree. And if we could vote, we would vote unanimously, unanimously, God, please do this, whatever your thing is. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture this morning that has brought tremendous hope to me. Because the danger in waiting is it can tend to erode our faith. See, when we're waiting and we're in the waiting room too long and, and it feels like if God is God, certainly he can do this. Maybe you think if there is a God, this is the kind of thing he could handle, only God could handle. So why is he not? And if we're not careful, we can begin to lie to ourselves. And the person that you listen to the most is you. And the person that I listen to the most is me. And if we're not careful, when we're in that waiting, the pain can be so deep and the question's so big and the outcome's so, so uncertain that, that we begin to lie to ourselves and say things like, I'll never be happy again. It's over. And we drift in life to, it is what it is. 
maybe you're in a marriage and you're not happy with the marriage and there are things about it that you don't care for, but you don't want to divorce and your spouse doesn't want to divorce. So you, you've just kind of settled into a, it is what it is and this is how it's going to be. And you've asked God to change it and you've, you've tried to read some things. In fact, maybe you're even here because you're hoping that you'll hear something that will help you grow or help you understand. Or maybe maybe you brought your spouse hope, and you're praying, Jesus, speak to them, speak to them, speak to them. Isn't it funny how we want Jesus to speak to other people, not us? Years and years ago, Angie and I separated. We were filing for divorce. It was oh. Our marriage was as over as any marriage could be. And God, through his grace, restored our marriage. But I remember thinking, I'll never be happy again. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you've gone through the difficult pain, the deep pain of a divorce and a broken relationship. And maybe your story is different. God didn't restore your marriage. I, I, I want you to understand from me, from me this morning, and I believe from God, that doesn't mean he won't restore you. You are not a second-class citizen. There's as much hope for your future as the day you were born. We just have different stories. But you've thought, I'll never be happy again. Another lie we tell ourselves is nothing good can come from this. Nothing good. I, I don't see any angle where anything good can come from this. I don't understand why this is happening. And if we stay in that waiting room long enough, and we pray seemingly without answers, and we even try to do better. I don't know about you, but sometimes when crisis hits in life, man, I, I, I try to read the Bible more. I try to pray more. I, I would attend church eight times on Sunday if we had it. I mean, there are those times, that, man, okay, I'm going to dive in. I'm, I'm going to try. And sometimes when we try harder, it seems like we're falling faster. So you can get to the point where you tell yourself the lie, there's no point in continuing. There's no point in continuing the marriage. There's no point in continuing to try to help my child. I, I told them, I told them when they were in middle school, grades matter. They got into high school, grades matter, grades matter, grades matter. Now they're almost to the middle of their senior year. And, and last week we had a conversation and they looked at me, hey, dad, hey, mom, grades matter. It's too late, Jethro. I mean, you can't make up in half a year what you did in eight years. I mean, there's grace, but come on, brother, that's not happening. And so now you're dealing with the reality. They may not be what you hoped they would be. They may not follow in your footsteps. There is a new normal in your life. If you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we can think, I'll never be happy again. Nothing good can come from this. And there's no point in continuing. And really the question we're asking when we have these thoughts and we we tend to say these things to ourselves. The, the question we're asking, ultimately, where is God? Where is God? You've asked it, maybe in different words. I've asked it at seasons. Where is God? This makes no sense. Where is God? Now, before we go any further, let's just sit down, just you and me, and have coffee for a second. Because there's something we need to talk about before we talk about where God is. There are these moments in our lives that we want the presence of God. God, I need you. I need your power. I need your presence. I need you to do this. God, I need you to handle this. There are moments where we're chasing the presence of God and it feels like we don't feel him. But, but let's be honest. For all of us, there are times in life where we're ignoring the presence of God, where we don't want the presence of God. In fact, there's time in your life, time in my life, all of us have done this. There are times where the God and the presence of God didn't factor in at all. 
you bought a plane ticket to go ignore the presence of God. You spent spring break ignoring the presence of God. You went on that date, you didn't even know her last name, and the presence of God had nothing to do with it. Some of you, you have so intentionally planned, all of us do this in life at times, we plan sin so much that that God doesn't even factor in. You have planned sin, you bought a ticket to sin, you packed sin in a cooler, you put sin in a bag under the seat, hoping the cops don't pull you over. You have everything laid out. And when you and I are doing that, we don't think, oh, I just, I need to turn up the worship music, I just need to feel the presence of God in my life. Maybe the question is not, where is God? Maybe God's asking, where are you? We want the presence of God when we want it. We want the presence of God when we need it. But isn't it true that often in life, I want to be in charge of my life? Often in life, I don't care what God thinks. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's preoccupied. Maybe he won't notice. Maybe this isn't going to matter that much. After the, after the, after this. I'm not going to stop what I'm about to do. But after this, I'm going to live for Jesus. And we chase the presence of God in somewhat of a selfish way. Where we want God only when we want him. But the rest of the time, I'm in charge of my life. The rest of the time, I'm in control of my life. But the reality is, his presence is there, whether I'm paying attention to it or ignoring it. His presence is there whether I'm chasing it and embracing it or trying to run from it and pretend it doesn't matter. And isn't it interesting how when life is pretty good and the marriage is pretty good, isn't it interesting that in those moments I I don't really need God that much? I think. But the reality is we need him more than we ever know. So if you're in the waiting room, And you're wondering, where is God? I I want to share something with you that is not intended to be callous at all. I want to share something with you that, that does not remove or ignore or pretend that the pain that you're feeling is not real. What what I'm about to share with you does not remove validation from what you're walking through at all. I just want to share with you a simple truth that I'd love for you to focus on and I'd love for me to focus on. Because you tell you more than anybody tells you. And some of you, you're telling these lies to yourself. And and James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that the tongue has the power of death and life. Some of you, you're killing yourself by what you say to yourself over and over and over again. And so I just want to... I just want to share a little bit of truth with you, and I want to ask you to have the courage to lean into it and process it and and just ponder it. You don't even have to fully believe it. Just kind of lean into it and and consider it maybe the next few days. Because ultimately, it's it's not my truth. There is no my truth, your truth, all this other bull crap. There is the truth, and his name is God. And he has something very specifically to say. And so maybe this morning, maybe this morning, think about, think about this. If you're in a waiting room in your life, and you're in a season where things are wheels off, and you're walking in a kind of a pain, and you've thought these lies that I've talked about, if that's you this morning, consider the fact that before eternity began, God knew you would be in this room while you're walking through exactly what you're walking through, while the bald-headed, wound-up guy would talk about this subject. Think about that. It is the very whisper of God to you that, I know. 
I love you. I know. Because where is God? Means God, are you even there? Are you even aware? Because maybe if he knows, somehow because he's God, it'll be okay. Maybe if he knows, somehow he's working and doing something that I just can't see yet. So here's the truth. God is not absent, God is not apathetic, and God is not angry. God is not absent, God is not apathetic, and God is not angry. God is not absent, he's present. Whether we want him to be or not, whether we recognize it or not, he's, he's present. God's not apathetic. God, God is not so busy that, that you go to him and talk to him about things, and he's like, oh, hold on, hold on. Have you seen what's going on in the Middle East? Shut up. Your, big, your thing's not that big a deal. Stop it. No, no. God is God. That means he can handle anything we throw at him. At any moment of any day, God is never too busy for you. There's some people you can call, they don't answer. There's some people you text, and you see the dot, 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 dot. It means wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, and then nothing. They don't respond. Listen, God is fully available all the time, and God is not angry. Sometimes when you're in the waiting room, your natural inclination, my, my natural inclination is to think, well, maybe God's mad at me. Maybe God's still ticked off about that thing I did in sixth grade, that thing I don't want to tell anybody about, the thing in sixth grade. Maybe that's why I have the life I have. Some of you, it's not sixth grade. It's like last night. And so you think God's angry at you. No, 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 no. No. God gets angry with us the same way a perfect father, maybe not your father, but a perfect father gets angry with children that he loves deeply because he sees the pain they're bringing into their own lives by their choices. It's not a pious anger. It's an anger out of love. You are hurting yourself. I can't stand to watch you have to walk through this when you don't have to. So God's silence never equates to God's absence. So before earth began, before God created anything, before Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for my sins, God knew that you would be here this morning, and if you're in a waiting room this morning, God knew that he would simply want to use my voice to whisper to you in this strategic moment, I love you. Your heavenly Father loves you. But I don't feel his love. It doesn't make any sense. If he loves me, why would he I don't feel his love. Please. You do understand, if we base our lives on feelings, we will put ourselves on an emotional roller, co roller coaster that spends most of its time going down. You create a downward spiral in your life when you base your belief system and what you think on how you feel. You can't base it on feelings. You have to base it on fact that is beyond truth. But I can't see it. If you've ever had a child, what you recognize and what you know, and even if you haven't, we all understand this. At the moment of conception, we see nothing. In fact, for a few weeks, there's no visible change in mom. We, we see nothing. At the very moment life begins, designed by God, not when we're born, but at the moment of conception, God, the author, the creator of life, knows there are no mistakes, no accidents, you're created with purpose, but at the very moment of your creation, nobody saw anything. So it could be in a season where you see absolutely nothing. There are no visible signs of God's activity. God is not moving seemingly in any way possible. It could be that a seed has been planted that's going to create something in your life. You just don't see it yet. It doesn't mean it's not on the way. How do we know? 
Because the most famous verse in all the Bible, in fact, outside of the Bible, I would argue the most famous phrase in all of history. John 3.16, for God so loved the good people. That's not what he said. For God so loved the religious people. No. You know, Jesus had more fights and arguments with religious people than anybody else. Jesus thought religious people were as obnoxious as you and I think they are. For, for God so loved the churchgoers. No. For God so loved special people that are his favorites, but not everybody. No. For God so loved the world. That means you, and that means me. You can even put your name there. You know what the world means? You know what the world means in the Greek? It means the world. <laughs> it means everybody. There are no exceptions to this. For God so loved you, and God so loved me, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God poured out his wrath and his anger for our sin on his son because of his love for you and for me. So one of the most tragic things anybody can do is live a life apart from God, not knowing God because of everything he offers. It's not just stuff. He offers himself. He wants to be in a personal, intimate, daily relationship with you and with me. So if you're in the waiting room, the truth, ultimate truth is you are not alone and you're not the first you're not alone and you're not the first the amazing thing about this if you find yourself in this place this morning the new testament if you're a christ follower the new testament speaks to exactly what you're walking through the amazing thing is if you're not a christ follower this morning the new testament speaks to exactly what you're walking through we read about John the Baptizer. He's been called John the Baptist. He wasn't Baptist. Denominations weren't even around then. They called him that because John was a baptizer. He was baptizing people, and he had his own disciples and people that were following him. But, but the moment that he saw Jesus, in fact, his mom and Jesus' mom, Mary, were related, so they were technically in the same family. But, but John has this following, and he's baptizing people. And the moment Jesus walks on the scene, John says, hey, you've been following me. You need to follow him. I'm not the one, he's the one. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. So John is related to Jesus. John is the one that paves the way for Jesus. John is the one that introduces people to Jesus. John is doing everything right. God is using him in a profound way to bring hope and life to people. And then John begins to preach about sin. And he, the king gets upset because John is talking about how the king married his niece. If you're from South Georgia, you understand that. But he married his niece, and then the king was away on a trip. I've got a son-in-law from Georgia, so it's all okay. It's all okay. The king's away on a trip, and his, his niece wife has sex with his brother, the other uncle. Uh, you should read your Bible. The stuff that's in there is unbelievable. And so John notices this, and he starts preaching about their sin and how that's not God's best. Well, the, the king kind of laughs. He thinks it's funny. But his wife, sir, husbands, have you ever laughed and she didn't? You kind of know that moment. Um, and so she has John arrested. And when he's arrested, 
Jail's not good enough. He is put in a prison in the far east of the country that is an absolute desolate, desolate place. If he had a window in that prison, all he would see is desert. In fact, this prison was the worst prison because in this prison, they did not even feed you. If you have friends that would bring you food, that's how you ate. If you didn't, too bad you die. This was the place they would put you to forget about you until they needed your room, then they would execute you. So John, who did everything right, is now in prison simply for preaching the truth. Sometimes the truth makes people angry. And he's waiting. Now, if you're Jesus and John, who's not only family, but is the guy who said to all of his followers, follow Jesus. The guy who paved the way, the guy who announced, this is the Lamb of God, Jesus. This is the one you follow. I'm not worthy to even tie his shoes. Follow Jesus. If you're Jesus and that guy gets thrown in jail, I mean, you're Jesus. You turn water to wine. You, you, you part the seas. You heal people that are sick with leprosy. You, you make blind people where they can see again. People that can't talk can talk. People that can't hear can hear. You, you've helped parents grieving over their children. And their children come like, you're Jesus. If you did that for all of them, what are you going to do for John? A year to a year and a half goes by, and John is still in that prison. Finally, he's been in the waiting room so long, some of his followers are bringing him food each day, and he says, hey, I want you, I want you to go find Jesus, and I want you to ask him a question and bring me back the answer. So they find Jesus. It's not a short journey. They finally get to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, um, we're, we're friends of John. You remember John, the, the one that told everybody to follow you? John, the, you, your mom, his mom, y'all are related. John, you, you know John. He, he asked us to ask you a question. We're here to ask you a question, and whatever you say, we're going to take the answer back to him. Jesus, John has, has been in this waiting room so long, in this desolate prison, when everything he was trying to do was right. He doesn't understand why he's there. Jesus, John wants to know, are, are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah? Are you Jesus? Jesus, John knows that you've said you love him. John knows what you say you think about him. He's just wondering what he thinks about you. Because this is not at all what he thought his life was going to look like. And he left him there. I don't think it's an accident that the scripture gives us insight into how Jesus felt about John. Jesus about John says this in Matthew chapter 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of woman, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Out of everybody alive, John the Baptist, he's the greatest. Wait, Jesus, what about Joseph, your stepfather who believed that whole thing from Mary when she said, God made me pregnant? I mean, what, what about Joseph? No, John's better than Joseph. What about Mary, your mom? John's better. Think about this. What would Jesus say about you? What would Jesus say about me? Out of everybody alive, he's the greatest. She's the greatest. This is what Jesus thinks of John. And yet, a year and a half has gone by. And, and you know what Jesus told him? I want you to go back to John. And I want you to tell him how people are being saved. Lives are being changed. People are being healed. I want you to go tell John what I'm doing for everybody else while I'm doing nothing for him. 
When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, verse 12. Now, this, this means something. Don't miss this. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake. Now, if you know the geography, where Jesus is living, John is put in prison a long distance away southwest from him. When he hears about John in prison, Jesus, instead of going to John, this is John, the one you said is the greatest, your family member, the one, the one that you deeply love, the one that paved the way for you. Instead of going toward him, Jesus goes to Capernaum, which is northwest. In the moment, seemingly, that John needs God the most, Jesus goes the opposite direction. And you thought it was just you. And then Jesus makes a statement. To me, one of the most profound statements in all of Scripture. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble and allow their faith to crumble when I don't do what they feel like I should. Blessed is anyone who, who doesn't stumble when they think I'm not showing up on time. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble because I'm, I'm not doing in their lives what they would do in their lives if they were God. Blessed is anyone who does not let faith erode in spite of everything they see and even more so of what they're not seeing that they feel like they should. Don't interpret God's silence as his absence. Faith is not made for the moments when life is good and it's easy to clap and sing. Faith was created for the very moments when all of life is colliding with what the Scripture teaches. And you and I have a choice. We can hold on to the truth of God, understanding that God is God and He loves me. And ultimately it's going to be okay. Or we can run from our faith and let it erode. But if you run from your faith, and if I run from my faith and we let it erode, what do we have left? One other occasion where John spent all of his time ministering and baptizing in that same area later, John may already be dead at this point. Jesus is there hanging out one time, and some people come to him and they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, if somebody said to you, the one you love is sick, who would you think of? Your kids, because you know your spouse loves you, but you're not sure about your kids. The one you love is sick. They'll love you when they grow up, but sometimes. The one you love is sick. Now, if you heard the one you love is sick, and in the context and the language, they've taken the journey to tell Jesus the one you love is sick. He's about to die. What would you do? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. You thought it was just you. John doesn't die in prison. He's executed. Lazarus gets sick and dies, and Jesus goes and raises him from the dead. It makes absolutely no sense, but it gives me hope. You know why? I'm so glad that God is so big, I can't figure him out. And before you walked into this room this morning, 2,000 years ago, God let a guy named John go through this experience. Let me ask you a question. The, the, the disciples of John that went to Jesus and asked him the question, do we know their name? 2,000 years later, who are we talking about? 
2,000 years later, whose story can you relate to? 2,000 years later, when you're in the waiting room and you're struggling in life, who do you think understands what it is to struggle? And yet he continued to hold on to his faith. Why? Because when you're in the waiting room of life, I've learned from watching Angie, and I've heard her say this, your pain becomes your platform. Your words weigh more. When people around you are hurting, you know, when I'm going through something difficult, if people come up to me that have plain vanilla okay lives and say, it'll be okay, it means nothing to me. I mean, I appreciate it, but it means nothing. But if somebody walks up to me and I know they are walking through hell and they look me in the eyes and maybe even with tears and they say, you know what? It's going to be okay. It means something. You thought you were just in a waiting room, but your pain is your platform. There are other people in the waiting room. And what do people do in waiting rooms? They break up the monotony and they distract themselves from the struggle of what could be happening by looking at each other occasionally. Now, if somebody looks back at you, you look away real quick. You act like you weren't doing it. I don't know what you're talking about. I was looking at the clock. The clock right past your head. That's what I was looking at. When you and I walk through pain, people watch us and our lives mean more and have more impact. Nobody cares what your opinion is when life is good. It matters when you're walking through pain. And sometimes, sometimes the answer doesn't come in this life. Sometimes it's in the next life. Yes, John lost his life here, but how much did he gain there? And there's a whole lot longer than here. Lazarus was brought back to life, and he, he lived a good life here, but how much more impact and how much more benefit is, is life there? How much more enjoyable? There is a life after this life. This life is just a vapor. It is a mist. And you and I, those of us that are followers of Christ, we are here ultimately for the glory of God. You're not here for your story. I'm not here for my story. Those stories are far too small. We've been invited by God to be a part of his story and helping people know God and know him. And when we walk through pain, it shows our faith. Have you ever seen somebody in pain who had a smile on their face? So don't confuse God's apparent absence for apathy. We tell ourselves, I'll never be happy again. Nothing good can come from this, and there's no point in continuing. And when we do that, what you're doing is you're robbing yourself of joy, hope, and purpose. You are lying your way out of the purpose of God for your life. You are lying your way out of big faith. When people go through extremely difficult things and the waiting room of life, people that hold on to faith, you know what they do? They become more compassionate. They become more forgiving. Other people matter more. People who tend to run from their faith and get angry with God and every, angry with everybody else just become angry. And you lose joy, hope, and purpose. So, so could I give you something to say to yourself when you're in the waiting room that will help you and not harm you? Could I give you something to say to yourself when you're in the waiting room that, that will benefit you and not discourage you? Something that even if you don't feel like it, you don't see anything being conceived. There's no evidence of the activity or the love or the movement of God. But something that is absolutely true that you can hold on to in those moments. The truth is, the truth is, I can be happy again. Something good can come from this. There is a purpose to this pain even if I don't see it. And some of you, you've heard yourself say something so different for so long. You need to hear yourself say this. And so I'd like you to say it with me. Even if you don't believe it, I'd like you to just try it. 
And I'd like you to begin to say this to you instead of what you've been saying to you. Because you have not been doing you any favors with what you've been saying to you because it is not true. And some of you, you just need to hear yourself begin to say this. Fake it till you make it. Choose to act on it. Belief always follows action. This is the truth. So let's say it together. One, two, three. I can be happy again. Something good can come from this. There's a purpose to this pain. One more time because you need to hear it and I do too. I can be happy again. Something good can come from this. There's a purpose to this pain. Why? Blessed is anyone who does not stumble. On account of me. You thought it was because God didn't like you. No, God deeply loves you. And he's allowing something in your life. That is going to grow your faith big if you let it and increase your platform and you'll make more of a difference. You wouldn't have picked it. You don't want to sign up for it again, but you're there. So you get to choose how to respond. You can't control what happens to you, but every single day of the week and twice on Saturday, you can control how you respond every single time. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, with head bowed and eyes closed, I pray for every single person in this room. God, I pray for those that are in the waiting room. And time is moving so slowly. The pain is not passing. There seem to be no answers and no good options. I pray that in those moments, rather than looking at the circumstances, we would look to you. Because ultimately, you are the source of our happiness and joy, not circumstances. And you promised you would never leave us or forsake us. And so somehow, we don't understand how, because we're not God, but somehow good can come from even horrible situations. And Father, we want to continue to choose to trust you. With heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. If, if you're in the waiting room in this season, I'd love to pray for you if you'd let me do that. Heads about, eyes are closed. But you feel like, man, I'm in a waiting room. I'm, a, I'm in a tough season in life. Would you just slip your hand out and put it down? Just slip it out and put it down very quickly. God bless you. So many. Father, you, you see every hand as I do. But more than that, God, you know every story. You know the circumstances. You know what these individuals are walking through. I pray this morning you would help them to understand and recognize it is not by accident they're here to hear what they've heard. And it's not what they've heard from me, it's what they've heard from you. God, I pray for deep, sustaining peace. Jesus, you told us in this world we will have trouble, but you also said you've overcome the world. And so I pray for every single one of these individuals that for those that are Christ followers, you would encourage them through your spirit. You would sustain them. You would give them strength day by day. You would give them wisdom. You'd help them to understand peace and purpose. You, you would help them to understand the people around them that are also hurting and begin to use their pain to somehow comfort others because they choose to lean into their faith and begin to tell their, themselves the truth. Father, I pray for those who may not know you, who've never surrendered their lives to you. I, I, I pray that in this moment, as life has gotten their attention, pray that you would get their attention even more. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and the greatest need of your life is to surrender your life to Christ. 
Maybe you've never done that. You've not become a Christ follower. I can't think of a single reason not to make that commitment. With all that God offers, the forgiveness of sin, His Spirit to live inside us, that means He's in us even in the waiting room. If that's your story today and you'd like to commit your life to Christ, just pray this simple prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. Just say, Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Please forgive my sin and help me to live for you. As best I know how, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.